to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We're going to read the entire chapter, um, and then we'll start picking it apart in the next couple weeks, um, three, four weeks in chapter 1. So it starts off in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it is also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him were the things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now have reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And indeed you continue in faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God." The mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known that, all, that what are the riches of the glory of the mystery of, among the Gentiles, 
which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may be present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working with which works in me mightily. It's an incredible chapter there, and um, gets me a little fired up at times, especially when I start reading the parts about him explaining who Christ is. And it just kind of makes me, it's like, as I was studying, it kind of like a little, you know, football season's coming, so I'm getting a little excited, you know. It's a, one of the, two things about football season. One, it's football season, okay? But two, football season means it's going to start cooling off soon. So, I mean, that's the other part of the praise that it's it's football season. But in football season, you kind of get riled up. You get kind of excited. You kind of get juiced before a game. Or And reading that chapter kind of gets me juiced up. It kind of gets me excited. You know, you start reading about the preeminence of who Christ is and that all things were created in him and through him. And, and you just kind of get, I mean, is it just me? I mean, I just get, get a little fired up. You know, and I was like, I'm reading this and I'm like trying to, to, to hold back. But then also you're on social media this week and last week. And I'll get to that in a second. But first we're going to talk about the introduction of who Colossae is. And as Paul is writing this book, he's writing it to uh, Colossae. Most of them were Roman cities at this time, right? Rome owned most of the world at this point. In that area at one time, Colossae was a, was a big city. And there was like a little triangle of cities, but the other two cities in that triangle uh, were Herapolis and Laodicea. So what was what was Laodicea known for? They were known for being really wealthy, right? Doesn't he call them out and say, "Hey, look, I know that you're proud of your of your what you got," you know? So Laodicea, this area is very fertile at the at one time. Okay, so they were very, very rich. Unfortunately, what happened is at this point in in history of where of the Christian era is this city starts to die off. The other two cities start to take off and they're getting bigger and they're getting more economically strong. And we've kind of seen that in our own country, right? There's cities that were really big at one point. Now they're smaller. Other cities have kind of taken off and grown. I mean, New York is always big and things like that. But you drive around the country and you'll find little cities and you're like, what was here? You know, I mean, why is, if you, if you drive anywhere with Christine, she's on Google and she's going to find out what that city was there for. I'm just telling you right now. Correct, Jonathan? Yeah. So we always do like a history thing while we're driving and we're like, oh my gosh, can we just listen to radio? She's like, hey, let's find out what this is, you know? And so, as you can hear her saying that. But so anyway, so we'll find out whatever city that we're driving through, what it was known for. Well, this area was very rich at one point, but unfortunately, Colossae is kind of dying off. And so now they're a small city, and as the prosperous time that they had one time is is now declining. And what was interesting to me is that if this is a small city, right? I mean, there's lots of big cities that Paul could be writing to, and there's lots of big cities that, that he's been invested in. But for some reason, this small city, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the name of names at that time, has taken the time to write a letter to this city. And maybe it's just me because I'm in a small church and, and it just kind of tugged at my heart a little bit to realize that, you know, it doesn't matter of, of how great or big that you think you are, or maybe you're just small on the totem pole of where you think that you are in, 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 in your walk with Christ, but that God still cares about you. That Paul would take his time while he's in jail, right? We know of four epistles that he wrote while he was in jail. He wrote um, the Philippians that we just did, Ephesians that John is about to finish up. He wrote Philemon at the same time that he wrote this one. And he wrote Colossians. And so why would he write to this small city that you, that you see 
Like, well, isn't there other people that you could write to? There was something that just tugged Paul's heart. Maybe it was the fact that Epaphras shows up and he sees him in jail and he, he gets a time to be able to spend some time with Paul and, and Epaphras starts just glowing about what this city is doing. Oh, Apostle Paul, you, you wouldn't believe this, this city, man, they're just doing great things. Man, they, they love the Lord. There's great, there's grace and mercy and peace. And, and they just, they just, they're just loving on people. It's amazing what's going on there. And so as he starts to build it up, but then he starts telling of everything that's happening in the city. Oh, but Paul, there's some people that are starting to come in and, and they're starting to just, to, to stir up a little different doctrine and there's, there's things that are going on. And so Paul, as he's hearing about this and he's hearing about the great works that they're doing, Paul being Paul, being a pastor, he looks at the city and starts realizing, man, Lord, I need to write something to them. I need to give them a warning. Again, it's, you have Philippians that he just wrote and we just went over of just praising them and just of all the great works that they're doing. And he had a love for them. Remember, he started that church. There's many who believe that he's never been to the city before. He's never been there. There's some that think that he might have been, but we don't see it in Acts 18 or, or Acts 19. We don't see any reference of him going to the city. So it's a city that he didn't start, but maybe one of his disciples did, or maybe somebody else that he knows, they went out, they sent out, and they started this church in this city. And he has such a love for them, and he realizes, man, i, I got to do something for them. My brother here, Epaphras, is coming in, and he's a Colossian, and he's he's poured his heart into the city, and now he's just, he's just concerned about some things that are going on. But in all Paul's letters, there's a purpose to his writing. And in the early churches, I think we forget as we, we've glorified them in some way, you know, like I talked about Acts chapter two at one point that we just glorify these, these, these old times, kind of like, you know, the twenties and the thirties, like, oh, the roar, that, that would have been a wonderful time. Would it have been a wonderful time? You know, I mean, think about it. Not everybody had AC at that time. I mean, during the summertime, I'm glad I don't live in the twenties and the thirties. I'll just be honest with you. I'm like, I love me some AC. I have no problem sweating, but I'm very happy to come back in my my room and find that there's air conditioning there. I mean, there's just certain things that we experience that we have now that we look back at times sometimes and we think, oh, it was just so much more wonderful back then. I don't think it was. Well, back then they had a lot of things. The, the, the Bibles, they didn't have, everybody didn't have a Bible. Bible wasn't written yet. You know, so I mean, they're, they're going off of letters from Paul or from, from teachings from whoever's coming to town and they didn't have Bible programs. They didn't have the internet where they could literally just go on to the internet and have an endless supply of information about doctrine, about what this actual word means in the Greek and in the Hebrew. I mean, they just didn't have that. Books. I mean, books. We look at now, we've got books all over the place. Back then, I mean, not everybody had books. You were a rich person if you owned books. That was like a, a status. I mean, if you walked in somebody's house and there was a library of books there, that person was rich. The common person, they couldn't afford that. Let me say, I'm going to buy a book or am I going to eat for the next week? You know what I mean? You have to kind of weigh it out of, if I don't have money to eat, then how can I have money to do to go and buy a book? Most people couldn't read at that time. They didn't have the schooling. They didn't have the... No- so again, as you start looking back at this time, you start thinking, well, man, it would have been more wonderful back then. I don't know if it would have been. Bless you. I mean, Grant, I think the, the more wonderful part was they relied on the Holy Spirit a whole lot more than we do nowadays. 
mean, I think back then, I mean, the Holy Spirit, the reason you saw the Holy Spirit move so much back then is because people had to rely on Him to do everything for them. Nowadays, well, I have might and I have right and I have ability to go out and do anything that I want to. If I can't afford it, well, I can just go charge it. I can just, I can find any way to get anything that I want. I don't have to rely on the Lord. I don't have to rely on some kind of financing from, from God to provide it for me. I can just go out and get it myself. I don't have to pray about it. Really? So as we look back at that time, the advantage that they have is just in their own personal reality that they had to rely on the Holy Spirit. You did nothing without prayer. And that part, I'm probably jealous. Because, see, I, I know that I need to pray for the Holy Spirit to help me. I know that I need to pray for God to help me in things, but so many times I just act out in my own flesh. Something needs to get done, we'll just go do it. We joked around about Lynette praying for the keys to be opened in the, in the, in the truck a couple weeks ago. I was one of the guys looking for a rock to break, you know, the window. I mean, I was like telling Don, look, I can get one, use one for you next, on Monday. You know, it'd be like 30, 40 bucks, not a big deal. You know, have it by Tuesday and you're done. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm like moving ahead on, you know, just smash it. I've already fixed it. I've got the window coming in. There's no prayer in that at all. It's just acting out of my flesh and just, yeah, just get it done. Let's move forward. Don't, don't ask the Lord to help you. They had such oppression from the outside on these early churches. I mean, so here you are, and we talked about this when we were in James, about just the, the, the overabundance of pressure that this new church faced as being a Christian church, as being a different sect. The Romans didn't want you. The Jews didn't want you. I mean, you were just out there on your own. Such oppression that they faced back then that, that we, honestly, in America, you have no clue what oppression is. I mean, today there are probably certain parts in the in the world that that you would go to and that you would face a, a massive amount of oppression. I mean, you can go to Islamic countries where you're not allowed to be a Christian at all. I mean, there's certain areas in the world where you would face truly face oppression. We in this country face nothing. I mean, some of you guys might get made fun of and you know a little joke or something like that at your at your own expense. But the oppression that we face today, nothing comparison. You know, but we'll cry about it and we'll whine about it about, oh Lord, you just don't know the things that I'm going through. And Jesus on a cross is saying, I think I have a little bit of an idea of what oppression is. I think I understand what, what being made fun of is and getting hit and beaten. The oppression that this early church faced. The false teachings that they had also is, is that it would come into, and although they had a good reputation, that had been delivered to Paul. Paul was also aware of there, there was a problem that was going on in this in this early city, this early church. One of the commentaries is William Hendrickson that I use, and he called it the the Colossian heresy. The Colossian heresy. It might have been. It might be known as the beginning of the the, the gnostic gnostic gnosticism gnosticism. There it is. That's the word I'm looking for. You'll edit that out there. Gnosticism, or at least about the same time as it came about. So it's the beginning of Gnosticism. You probably might have heard it before. You might see it somewhere in scriptures, the Gnostics and things like that. Well, the Gnostics is just, it's a belief. It's a, it's not a religion per se, but it's an, it's an idea. It's a thought process of how to get saved and how you are here. Well, it comes from the, the Greek a root word of, of Gnosis, which is knowledge. And so the whole basis of what they believed in is they believed that knowledge was the way to salvation. Kind of sound familiar to today in a little bit, doesn't it? That knowledge is the way to salvation. So you didn't have any, didn't have to deal with the, with sin, but you had to deal with ignorance. 
See, the, the smarter you were, and especially in a time where there weren't a lot of smart people, I mean, to, to be able to say, well, I'm enlightened, I've got more knowledge than you, well, then obviously I have more value than you. Obviously, I've been enlightened by somebody else, and I have, I have more worth than you. I have more value than you. Why? Because I've been enlightened. I'm smarter than you are. It taught humans that they were made up of three different parts. There's the body, there's the soul, and there's the spirit. Well, see, the body and the soul, well, those were the evil parts, okay? Those were the evil things. And they were partly part of it because it was part of the earthly existence of who you were. Your body was evil and, and, and your, your soul. And, and, and therefore, in Christ, therefore Christ, he couldn't have been a, a God, right? Because he was in flesh. And so they didn't believe that part. He did not live as a man and he did not suffer on a, on a cross because a God, a God couldn't suffer on a cross. He couldn't have been in the flesh. And so then, therefore, there was no point to have a resurrection. Why? Because he didn't die. So they looked at Christ and said, well, God, that, that could have been God. The Gnostics say, I mean, why? Because, well, that, that God couldn't be flesh. Why? Because flesh is evil. And God can't be evil, correct? And so they're looking at this and going, nah, no. And so as this start, belief starts to, to filter into the church, well, all of a sudden now all the Christians, and they're starting to get ideas and like, whoa, is, is, is Christ really who he says that he is? Have we been taught the correct thing from our, our leaders as far as who Jesus is? See, the Spirit was, it's the only divine part. But it is asleep and ignorant. It needs to be awakened and liberated by knowledge. So in you, you would have the Spirit in you, but your spirit might be asleep. And so we need to find a way to give you knowledge and to wake it up so that you could be able to be able to be free and have an understanding. The goal was to release the Spirit through knowledge and, and salvation. It only occurred by releasing the inner person from the earthly dungeon, this, this body, this flesh, and return to the realm of light where, where they should become reunited with God or their belief of who God was. So this inside person, so your spirit would have to get released from this so that it could somehow get through it. And then I read other places too where it still had to battle to get to that extra realm. I mean, there were certain levels that you had to get through. Levels. Again, something that you probably have heard of today in different cults. There's not just, not just a beginning base where you're saved. And see, the difference when they look at Christianity is that it doesn't matter who you are. If I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, guess what? I'm saved. There's no levels within the church. I mean, we as, as humans have placed levels. And, you know, sometimes, like I've told you before, I think the, the person up here on stage that he get, or the platform for the county, it's a platform is that they, that we get just too much credit. I'm just a mouth. Don's a bigger mouth. You know, and so just the two of us just have a mouth to be able to speak. Well, that's just our talent. That's a talent that God's given me. That talent is no greater than, than the lady that was in last night, Yanneth, who, who cleaned the church for us. To me, that was a talent. I looked at that and I was like, man, I am blessed the fact that she came in here and took care of the church for us. I'd much rather sit here and study and be able to come up. I mean, I just, I love to do that, but to sit there and she's just in here, hey, have a good night, Pastor Kevin. You know, and she's like, going for it. You know, she's all happy. Praise the Lord. Neither one of us is, is greater than the other one. Now, in our eyes, we might look at it and go, well, Kevin, come on, man, dude, you're, 
you're you're giving out the the scripture this morning though aren't you of, of greater value no not at all i would argue to say that i'm of less value because see i still know my heart and i know the wickedness that's inside of it and i know by the grace of god that i wouldn't be even here this morning so i say no not at all there's two types of behavior that you would see within these people. One would, they would separate themselves, separate themselves, kind of like you see in a lot of cults today, correct? That they would separate themselves. Why? So they wouldn't be contaminated. They wouldn't be contaminated with other people. Well, no, I don't want to, we don't want to be around those people because see, they're still stewing stuff and we, we want to be over here. We want to be as pure as possible. A lot of cults that you'll see will pull people away. Why? So they can be on their own, that they don't get contaminated. The opposite of that is Christ, obviously. What did Jesus Christ say? Go into all the world, right? We were commanded to go into the world. We were commanded to go and talk to your brothers and sisters and and your neighbors and everybody that you know and tell them about Jesus Christ. Then there's libertinism. And I didn't even know that was a word. They felt that a freedom to, to to participate in all sorts of stuff. They felt and said that the other side of it says one was we're going to be, you know, we're going to contaminate ourselves. We don't want to be around anybody else. The other one was like, hey, man, we're free to do anything that we want. We can go to Vegas. We can go to Corinth, man. We're free. Why? Because this body doesn't matter. Man, I've been liberated. I'm gone. I'm good. So you've got the other side of that. And so you've got two sides of this that show that are completely different with what, what we've been commanded to do, Correct. One is, we've been told to go into the world. We've been told to be in the world, but not of the world. The other side of that is, is that to, to have the freedoms and to be able to do anything that we want. Well, we've been commanded not to do that, correct? Have you been told that you can go and sin and do anything that you possibly want and just live it up, man? This is the time. This is your one chance to go and do everything that you want. You don't have to live holy. Well, Paul would contradict this many times and, he would say, no, we're, we're saved to holiness. Christian, this morning, you're supposed to be holy. You're supposed to be holy in the things that you do, in the way that you act, the way that you talk. That's what we've been commanded to do. We have to have an attitude of, of indifference toward the, we, we don't have to have, we can't have an indifference towards the law. We have to listen to the law, allow the law to be applied. Not, not that we live under the law, we live under grace, but there's still a walk that we're supposed to live. Turn over to Romans chapter 6 real quick. <clears throat> I'm going to read it in the NIV just for for you guys to know that. Sorry, but um, I can't read Romans and New King James. I'm just letting you know it's my my weakness, but... I have to read it in NIV, otherwise I have no clue what Paul's saying. So anyways, so Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to the sin. How can we live, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into the death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live in a new life. For if you have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in, in a resurrection like this. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know now that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. So again, there, as Paul is saying to the Romans, he's saying, look, guys, listen, you have died to sin. If you have, if you have recognized yourself as a Christian, if you've recognized yourself to be one that goes to the cross and has died to this, and then as just as Jesus Christ has been resurrected, shall we not also be resurrected with him? Should we live as, as a life that has continues to commit sin? Paul says, by no means. We don't commit sin just so that God will forgive it, so that God then gets more glory because he's forgiven more sin. Correct? Does that make sense? I mean, I already make enough sin. I mean, I don't need to add any more to my, my ledger. And so, well, I, do you want to give more sin so that he can, he can forgive more? No. I, 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 Christ deserves better than that. See, Christ went to the cross one time for me and for you. And as we sit there and we, we've gone over Easter and as we've talked about what he has done for us and how, how he humbled himself, I don't want to cause any more for Christ to have to forgive me for. I mean, the debt's been paid and, and the effort has already been made. I don't want to cause more for him. I look at him and he's my savior and he's the one that's forgiven me of everything. Well, now the only thing that I owe back to him is I want to live for Christ. John also says in, in 1 John 3, says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. lawlessness. And you know that he has, has met, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little tr- children, let no one deceive you who practices righteousness and righteous, just as the, he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And you're like, whoa, Kevin, are you saying that? So as, as a Christian, and I claim to be a Christian, does that mean John's saying that I never sin? I'm not supposed to ever sin at all? I failed this morning. You know, I mean, I just, I, I, I don't think I can do this. Well, no, that's not the intention of what he's saying here. He's saying, again, as we've talked in the past, it's a point of, you know, there's things that happen in your life and you're just like, ah, oh, man, I didn't even realize I was doing that. I just blew it. And then there's other times where God is giving you a warning. And he's saying, look, I don't want you to do that. And you're saying, I don't really care. I, I, Lord, I'm going to do this anyways. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm asking you to not do this thing. And you're like, nope, I don't care. I'm moving forward. Well, then the question then becomes, are, are you a child of God? 
And again, I'm not saying that it happens every time in your life and, and we can have a further conversation afterwards, but it's a point of in your life, you have to look at it and go, am I truly walking? Am I truly having a desire to live the life that Christ has called me to live? Paul said, you know, when we talked about that last week, it was Paul said, look at, look after me. Was Paul saying that I never sin? No, Paul wasn't saying I don't sin. Paul's saying that my heart's desire is that I'm to live in everything that I can possibly do for Jesus Christ. If I sin, it is not out of purpose. It's out of a, out of omission. It's out of a, an accident. It's not out of a, a purposeful heart to be able to have a, a direct um, disobedience towards God. He's saying, no, look, everything that I'm doing, I'm trying to follow the straight and narrow of what Christ has called me to do in my life. The same thing then comes upon us where we look at our lives and go, well, Kevin, yeah, that's, that's my intention. Well, then good. Praise the Lord. You're saying, well, Kevin, 50-50, 60-40. Well, then I'm telling you, you need to move that over here to where you're always on fire for the Lord. doesn't mean that you don't have, every day is not a perfect day. Every day is not like, oh, you know, again, I got cancer. Praise the Lord. You know, you know there's times where you sit there and you go, no, I understand. And you can cry out to the Lord and you can have times of sorrow. But ultimately, you know in your heart that he is the one who provides everything for you. You're like, Kevin, well, I'm, I'm kind of lost in what you're saying here. Well, the problem I bring this up is sometimes things come into a church and they, they, they seem like they're okay and they seem like they make sense and then all of a sudden you have a cult or you have a misleading within the church. And my frustration as a pastor this morning is, as you've seen that the last couple of weeks within social media. And, and I, and I, again, I pray this morning because I want to come into it as a, as a calmness, as a, the, will, the way that the Lord would speak. But you also saw Jesus when he was, when he was going through the temple in God's house, that's when he was tossing tables. So when you've got a man who used to, who, who proclaimed at 20 something years old, he wrote a book, you know, I kissed dating goodbye, and then he led a church, mega church at 20 something years old, 30 something years old, you know, and then he decides, hey, you know what? I've walked away from God. I apologize. Everything that I've said before is not correct. I apologize to the, you know, certain communities and things like that. And, and my wife and I are now getting a divorce and we've just seen, and we've seen an enlightened way. And, and that's how we're moving in our life. So as a Christian, I look at that and go, I don't know if you were ever saved. I don't know if you actually had a relationship with the Lord or if it was just an easy come go. You had some ideas, you had some thoughts and that you were able to all of a sudden have a mass of followers. And then all of a sudden you led people. And you go, Kevin, well, that's just, that's just one example. I mean, that's just one person. Well, then last week you had the, one of the former singers or, or writers to Hillsong. He came out in social media and said that the same thing. He's walking away. He's seen a different way and that, you know, he doesn't really believe in God anymore and that he feels like, you know, he's been just enlightened in his understanding and that he now is, is, you know, sorry for that I led so many other people the wrong way and now I'm, I'm, I'm looking into a different way. Really? I just, again, I look at that and I'm like, if you knew God and you knew Jesus the way that I did, I don't think you did. I don't think there's any way that you understand who really God was if you're able to walk away from him. It's impossible. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a relationship with God and the things that he's done in your life. Now, I don't think that you did. You're like, Kevin, well, you're getting a little strong and you're, you're judging people this morning. I'm not judging them. The word of God is judging them. You look at their life and the way that they went. There's a, the lead singer, 
Josh would be happy with this one. To Skillet, he posted it online. I didn't print that one out. You can look it up, but he called them out. He called them out and said, look, you know, just a matter of fact that he he called out all of worship and said, look, the problem is so many times as we take these 20 somethings and we take and he goes, and I'm including myself and many other, you know, people who are singers. He goes, a lot of them believe the same way that I do. And we put too much emphasis on people who are in those positions. 20 somethings, 30 somethings. I'll include 40 and 50 somethings. Okay, so I'm including all of us. We said we'd sit there and just because they can sing a lyric or they can come up with some different ideas as far as how to present it, all of a sudden there's somebody that we should follow. Well, what if they don't have any foundation to their faith? What if they have any understanding of what they believe in? But just because they have a talent and they have an ability and they have a way to get up in a pulpit and they have a way to talk it in a cool way and all of a sudden it's a hip way and it's a way that I've never heard it before and that's really cool. And you know what? I'm going to follow that guy. Why? Because he's hip and he's cool and that nothing that he says matters. There's no substance to it. I tell you, Christian, you need to be careful. That's why, again, Paul says, be like the Bereans. The Apostle Paul is sitting here saying, look, every time I talk to, talk to them, man, those guys went home and they checked me out. They said, look, I don't care who you are, Paul. I mean, yeah, you're Paul, but you know what? We follow God. And that's who you're going to have to stand have the standard to. And I say the same thing to you, Christian. Don't say, oh, well, Pastor Kevin said this. Whoa. No, don't ever put me on that. Again, like I said, I know my heart. And it's wicked. And only by the grace of God have I got anything within my life. My family, my wife, my kids, my mind, nothing. I deserve none of it. Only by the grace of God. Don't follow what Pastor Kevin says or Pastor Don says. Follow it. Why? Because you have your relationship with who Christ is. You have an understanding. You do your search. You do your Bible study. You have your prayer time. You have an intimate relationship with the God in heaven. You know, for millennia, people could not even come into the presence of God. They were not allowed to be in the courtyard. For us as Christians today, the privilege that you guys have, that we have, that once Christ died on that cross and that veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, we get to actually enter into the Holy of Holies with God. And each one of you can sit there and pray, even right now, and come into the Holy of Holies and present your request to God because He loves you. And because of what Jesus Christ did as far as washing away your sin, that now I'm holy and I'm actually able to come into the Holy of Holies. Not because I'm pure, but because what Jesus Christ did in me. So when I hear people like that, When I see writers like that, and I know that they've got thousands of followers, and I have no followers, and I, you know, I, my message will go online, and there'll be like seven people who listen to it, me twice, you know, something like that. So it's, it's a point where you're like, well, who are you, Kevin? I'm nobody. I'm Kloss. I'm the, I'm the Church of Colossians. I'm nobody. I'm a small town. I'm a small town pastor. I'm a small church pastor. But one thing I promise you guys is I will always do my best to lead you to Jesus Christ. That's my promise. Don's on his own. Don's responsible for Don. And he would say the same thing back to me. Is I, I can't control how he lives his life. He can't control how I, I'll pray for him. He prays for me. I pray for you guys. 
But as you sit there and you look into social media and you start listening to these artists, you start listening to these pastors, and there's pastors out there that are, I know we make fun of one, but there's several other that I'm like, I get the heebie-jeebies on. Some that you would be shocked. You'd be like, really? You have a problem with him? Mm, just something. I could be wrong. You know? I'm not saying I got the gift of discernment, but there's something sometimes that's there. I have a thing when there's smoke, there's fire. Refreshing thing is I saw on social media and asked my wife to print this out for me in bigger font and not much bigger, but um, Jeff, I don't know who this dude is, but um, this was on social media yesterday from a friend of ours in light of all the other things that we had just talked about. It says, I have a confession to make. In light of all the people who are coming out of Christianity and forsaking their faith, I've been thinking about this also for quite a while. And I have to be honest with you. I'm staying with my faith. After everything I've seen, there's no other decision. I've known blessing. I've known good things. I've known enlightenment while reading the scriptures. I've known what it's like to be stunned in his presence. And there's no one else there. Not a band, not a crowd, and not a light. I've known his presence. I've known answered prayer. I've known miracles. I've known that God provided I've known crowds of thousands. I've known what it's like for people to call my name. I've known God's smile. I've known people to give their life to Christ. I've known impossible situations turned around. All of this is great. But that's not only why I've chosen to stay with my faith. What has convinced me more than anything is this. I've also known suffering. I've known bad things. I've known my prayers were not answered the way that I wanted. I've known nothing about what I've read from the Bible. I've known absence of his, in his presence. I've known injustices. I've known loneliness and insignificance. I've known that what it's like for no one to call my name. I've known God's wrath. I've known friends who walked away from the faith. I've known what it's like for my wife to take her last breath on this earth. To be honest, I have to confess to you, this is what brought me to my decision. I've known the blessing and the curse, the good and the bad, his love and his anger personally. The reason I've made my decision to be faithfully, to be faithful to Christianity is because I do not serve God conditionally. I serve him unconditionally. I've never told God once that I would only serve him if. My faith is not the faith of my family. It's not the faith of my friends. It's not the faith of my denomination. It's not the faith of popular preacher. It's not the faith of a global worship movement. It's not the faith of strangers in the internet or social media or some other media. Why I've made this decision because I believe that you can only see part of God in a life of blessing because there are some things about God and his character that you can only know through suffering. I just had to let you know that I did not make this decision for anyone else. I've made my decision to stay with my faith because it has been my faith in the blessing and the suffering. Amen. And that's what it's about. I think the key part there is the fact that it's not because I've only seen blessing. Well, then that's only a part of who God is, is it not? I mean, as you go through life and you've, you've struggled and you've had hard times, is it not just amazing to be able to see God's hand come upon your life? As a small church, I know so many of you in this room that have experienced so many different things. But the hand of God has always been constant and has been pure and has always been there. So my frustration rises when I sit down there on, on, on social media and then I hear, I see all the, and I have to, I pray for me, I stop 
scrolling down to look at the comments because then I just get more infuriated. But I look at a world that, what do you expect? I've said this before too. It, Kirsten, it's not going to get better before Christ comes back, correct? I mean, it has to get worse for Christ to come back. Does that make sense? So we keep sitting there praying that, well, I don't want to have sufferings and I don't want to have hard times. Well, guess what? It's going to. I mean, if we continue to believe that we are the last church, that we're in the times of the last times, then guess what's going to happen? We're going to suffer. If you have little kids in here this morning, they're going to suffer worse than we will. Lest Christ comes and takes us out of here. And so as Christians then, as we read a book like this and as Paul is writing them, now you understand the importance of when Paul is penning this to letter to them. And he's saying, look, I'm telling you, you've got to be careful. Paul does it much more eloquently than I do because, see, I've, I've kind of come out here and just been a little fired up this morning. Paul does it much more easily. Why he praises them for this, the work that they're doing, and just he just sits there and then he compliments them. And then he starts bringing up, just kind of brings in the fact of the preeminence of Christ is and just reassuring them of who Christ is. So they don't feel like there's a rebuke there for him. He's saying, guys, I'm just telling you, you got to be cautious. You have to be careful. So the purpose of this is Paul's in prison and he receives a, a visit from the, his disciple here, Epaphras. It's the most favorable. It talks about faith and hope and love and we'll talk about those three next week. He's talking about the, the, the gospel is being fruitful within this church. And he gives them a letter and he's writing them to, to, to warn them not to slip back. Not to slip back and begin listening to those heretical teachings. Too many times, Christians, we, we, we start off our life and, and with the Lord and we continue to walk with Him and then as time goes on, we just kinda, we just kinda slip back into your old self. You know what I mean? Anybody ever done that? I, really, just two of us this morning. That's right, cool. That's fine. Just Strawberry and I will just commiserate afterwards about that, but the rest of you guys are holy, so evidently, you know. We just sit there and we slip back because why? Because it's easy, is it not? It's easy to slip back into the old person that you were, your old man or your old woman, and you just continue to sit there and, you know, the old wine was better and you sit there and you just, you just come back to that time and why? Because it's, Christianity is hard. Again, Christianity is a verb, remember? There's an action that has to happen to it. There's a, a way of life. There's a commitment. There's, there's, there's times where you have to say no to the very things that you want, the very things that you want to do. And you have to say no. Why? Not because it's, it's, it's bad for me or whatever, because it's not holy. It's not what Christ has called me to do. And that temptation there is not worth Christ going to the cross again for me. Example would be like PD being away and him hearing some things that are happening here at the church and him writing a letter like, hey guys, here are the wonderful things that you're doing, you know. Um, how about this, you know, kind of, <laughs> what's Kevin teaching? You know, careful of those heretical things that he's saying at the pulpit, you know, don't listen to him all the time and, you know, things like that. Verse 1 and 2 says, Paul, an apostle of, of Jesus Christ by the will of God and, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, 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 grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We kind of know who Paul is at this point. We've talked about him several times over the last um, several months while we're in the book of Philippians. We know that Paul is an apostle. An apostle is a delegate. It's a messenger. It's, it's one that's sent forth with orders. It's an authorized spokesperson of, of God and one commissioned and empowered to act as his representative. Paul has been commissioned to act as God's representative to the, to the world, to us even today. He's been empowered and by this, by the, by the will of God. Again, it's not a title that, that Paul sought to have. He didn't seek to have. A, actually, we know from, you know, in Acts when he got saved that it was quite the opposite, right? He wasn't trying to be an apostle at that time. He was trying to, to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul gets saved and gets, there's a radical trans, transformation in his life. And then all of a sudden he's, he's following Jesus Christ. And God, by, by his power, makes him into an apostle. And it, so it wasn't a title that, that Paul sat there and said, man, I, I'm striving, man. I'm gonna, I'm getting up this totem pole. I'm gonna move my way up and someday I'm gonna be an apostle. Paul, not concerned with that at all. I just said, you know what I want to do? I just want to, I want to be able to tell people about Jesus. Man, I want to go to the Jews. Nope, not going to the Jews. All right, I'm going to the Gentiles. That's where I'm going to go to. We set apart and qualified by God's will. We see this in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and 2 Timothy and Romans 15.32 that, that this was the will of God, that this, he was commissioned to do this. Paul served God by God's will. I think that that's a wonderful statement to, to, to have written on your tombstone or just in your life at all is just, what, what was your, what was, what did he do? Oh man, he just served God by the will of God. It was by the will of God that he just did that. The same thing can happen in, in your life, Christian, this morning. As you go out this week, it's, I, I get to serve God. Well, by who's it? By, by the will of God, man. God's called me into this position to be able to go and to serve others. And not by the apostasy that you see in these other men that have fallen away from the Lord. It's, it's by the will of God that I'm here and that I have a true understanding of what He's done in my life. And I have a testimony that I can pull out and I can just bring out to you and I can be able to show, tell you and share with you all the amazing things that Jesus has done in my life. Christian, you've got God's stories. I've got God's stories of just forgiveness that He's done within my heart, of stories of, of provision, of stories of being there when, when, when I was just by myself. Of where God just, just the simple hand of God just touched you. And you knew it was Him. You just knew it was. Christian, your life is open to the pleasure and want of what God would do with it. As a Christian today, if, if I've been crucified with Christ and I, and I truly believe that and it's a life that I no longer live, but Him that lives within me, then isn't it to the want of whatever God would have me to do? We think, well, well I can't hope, maybe God will call me out to be a great evangelist or He'll call me to do this. Really? You know who Jeremiah is? Jeremiah had a great career. I mean, he was like, woo! I mean, there, there's something that you want to be in life is not Jeremiah. I can tell you that right now. Do a little research on him. He was called by God. And he's like, 
what? This is awesome. I'm called by God. This is going to be incredible. Lord, what do you want me to do? We're going to go do something. We're going to go, man, I'll go to Nineveh. I'll go to Nineveh and I won't even be mad at those people. I'll just, I'll do, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Man, I want you to go out and I want you to preach my word. I want you to just do, just tell people about me. God, I'll do, I'll do it, man. I'm out there. Oh, there's, there's something else though, man. What, what else you want me to do? Nobody's going to believe you. People are going to beat you. I mean, you're going to get no, no fruit from your life at all. What? Yeah, I mean, it's so, so a lot of times we think that, well, God, you really, that's what you want from my life? Yeah. I, I want you to go do that. Another guy that has, that's commanded by God to go out and he's, he's called to, to marry a prostitute. That, that's going to be your wife. What? You know, ex- can I, can I choose my own? You know, I mean, can we do this a different way? No. Because I'm going to use your life as an example to, to the nation of Israel, of what they've done to the relationship with me. Okay. But because they, they believed in God and because of, it was the will of God of how they were going to live their life, they're like, you know what, Lord? You've got it. My chips are in. However you want me to live, I'll live. Are you willing to make that call today? Are you willing to, to really put the chips in finally and say, Lord, that's it. You're right. By the will of God, however you want to use me in my life. Whether it's here in Sarasota, whether it's in another country, whether it's in Bradenton, whether it's in, you know, New, where, where do you want me to go, Lord? I, I'm willing to do. You want me to stay home? All right, stay home. I'm, I'm here. What do you want me to do now? And Timothy, we know who Timothy is. We've seen Timothy frequently throughout the, the the Bible and through the New Testament and, and Paul looks at him as much more than just a, a friend to Paul. It's not much more than just a disciple or another person serving along. He's a, he's a brother, your brother Timothy. There's a relationship here that he has. You know, we saw in Philippians 2 that he had nobody else like Timothy. There was nobody. I got nobody like this guy right here. He's my son in Christ. He's, he's my brother. He's my co-laborer. I, I, I love Timothy. Verse 2 says to the saints and faithful brethren, the saints are, are those who, who by the Lord have been set apart to glorify Him. You know, a lot of times we have images of, when I say saint, what do you think of? New Orleans. Football's here. That's not the saint I was going for, but anyways. So anybody else? Saint? When you think of saint, what do you think of? The Pope? Saint John? Learn about Spanish, okay. So typically you think of something along the line of Catholic, right? I mean, let's, Let's be honest. I mean, that's typically what you've seen. Um, so the, the saints are there. Hey, can I tell you right now? You you guys are saints as believers. Now, don't go make a little statue of yourself so you can go put it in your car. I mean, it's not that kind of saint, all right? So, but don't don't do that, okay? But but again, you guys are the saints. Again, it's by the definition here, it says those who by the Lord have been set apart to glorify Him. The consecrated ones whose task it is to proclaim God's excellence. Do you guys proclaim God's excellence? You know, a long time ago, I was, when Brett was here, we'd talk about it a lot of times. I was, you know, we should live, we should live out loud. And it was a different term. I can't think of the term right now. Live out loud. We should just, when people say, you know, what'd you do on Sunday? A lot of times we go, ah, oh, man, I went, I went to church. You know, I mean, you're just kind of like, you know, like I went to church, you know, I mean, we should be like, you know, they're like, oh, dude, man, I went out Saturday night and I did this. And man, what'd you do? Oh, Sunday, dude, you wouldn't believe it. I went to church. It was awesome. Oh, my gosh. The pastor was great. He was in Colossians. And I mean, we just don't do that. Why? The excellence of Christ, excellence of what God has done in your life. You should be like, oh, dude, this morning I had a great time of worship. 
Oh, man, I opened it up, and I was in Jeremiah. Dude, the guy has incredible lies. You ever heard of Jeremiah? He's going to be like, what? You know, he's going to back up, but, oh, no, come here, man. Let me tell you about Jeremiah, and you can just pour into this guy. Like, just the excitement and the excellence of what God's done in your life. Why don't we live like that? You should, saint. First Peter 2, 9 says, but you are chosen, a chosen generation, a real priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Called you guys out of darkness into his marvelous light. The things that you did before, the places that you were before, man, he yanked you out. I said, no, man, I've got, an, I've got a new path for you. I've got a lighted path. This is your life that you're going to live now. And man, it's going to blow your socks off. This is uh, saints are, are persons upon whom the Lord has bestowed a great favor and, and who have been entrusted with a weighty responsibility. The responsibility that we have been given to is to proclaim Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, correct? Amen? I'll finish here quickly. It says, Grace to you and peace. And this is typically the, the introduction that he has for people and, and for the books. It's First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, um, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, and Philemon all use the same introduction. Now, I think the reason behind it is, is gar- grace is, is God's spontaneous, spontaneous, unmerited favor in action. His sovereign, freely bestowed loving kindness in operation. You ever experienced that? Just, just realizing the grace of God that, man, Lord, you just did that for me. And because of that grace, what is the result of that? The result of that grace is peace. You have a peace that enters within your life. You're like, Kevin, you know, you weren't with me last week, man. I didn't, I haven't, wasn't destroyed a lot of peace that was going on. You know, there were some things happening in my life. We had some, we had an eventful last week, you know, for school going back and things like that. And so, but peace is the assurance of reconciliation through the blood of the cross, true spiritual wholeness and prosperity. See, so many times we look at peace and we think of it as just peace within our life. You know, oh, things are going good. I got green lights all the way to work and there's no traffic this morning. Can I, Monday, side note, Monday morning. Anybody ever drive Fruitville? Monday morning? All the way to, yeah, thank you. They're trimming trees on the first day of school on Fruitville. I'm like, I don't need this kind of testing of my Christian faith on, on Monday morning. I'm like, yeah, all summer long. I mean, there's like three months of summer. They're like, hey, first day of school, let's go trim some trees, you know? So anyway, so it's not that kind of peace where you're like, oh, everything's glowing as far as I'm driving to work. Now, the peace that you experience is because of the grace of God. Man, I know that the blood has washed me clean. I know my destination. I know that if something happened to one of us in today and, and we, we're, we're gone, well, guess what? You're going to wake up in heaven. That's the peace. The peace is that I'm no longer at war with God, that there's been a reconciliation that's been made through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's forgiven me and that my, my destination is known. That's the true peace. Remember we talked about it several weeks ago, be anxious for nothing. You know, the anxiousness takes away, it steals that peace within your life. You're anxious about your bills. You're anxious about your, your relationships. You're anxious to be anxious. And remember, anxious, anxious, anxious just makes you anxious, right? When you're anxious. I mean, it just constantly does that. And so what happens is when you, when you cultivate that and when you turn that around instead and you pray, giving all things to the Lord, 
Wow, the peace that transcends all understanding comes upon you. And where does it come from? God the Father. You see, there's no peace without God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can happen without that. You glad we did two verses today? Instead of six more? Christian, this morning, have you guys experienced that peace? Have you guys understand and, and have, have realized the, the true understanding of what salvation is? I hope so. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're like, Kevin, I, I, don't, I don't really have that relationship with God. I don't know who God is. I don't know who Jesus is. And I really didn't understand sin until a little while ago. But if you're one of those that have been here for a while and you're like, Kevin, I, I've, again, I've been here for a while and I just have never done it. I've gone through the motions. Kevin, I need to recommit my life. Can I just tell you something? There's no judging that would happen there. You're going to come forward and you're like, oh, I don't want to do it, Kevin, because, man, you're going to, you're going to judge me. You're going to make fun of me. You're going to be disappointed. I'm not at all. I would be thrilled. I would be honored to pray with you. I'd be honored to, to be able to be a vessel used by the Lord to get you back on track and where you're at in your life. That's what I want. That's what the Lord wants. Today is the day of salvation is what the Bible says. Today is your day if you're not saved to get saved. Today is the day to get your life back on track. Today is the day to not allow those outside forces to creep within your life and to lead you astray away from God. Today is the day for you guys to go home and to read your Bible, to pray and to seek Him and have a foundation so as those outside forces come in that you can rebuff those and say no. Just like Jesus being tempted by Satan. Does the Lord say this? No. This is what the Lord says. And Jesus would quote Scripture right back to Satan.